This episode is brought to you by ABC. Station 19 is back for its final and hottest season yet. Andy finally becomes captain, and she's going to give it her all to be the best leader the station has ever seen. Will she succeed? Get ready for fiery new romances and high adrenaline rescues. Watch the Station 19 season premiere tonight at a new time, 10, 9 central on ABC and stream on Hulu. Jim Jordan is getting the Medal of Freedom today. Those are words I never thought I would say. What a strange time we live in. It's This Week in the CLE, the news podcast discussion from Cleveland.com and The Plain Dealer. I'm Chris Quinn, here with my colleagues, Chris Warnowski, Jane Cahoon, and Laura Johnston. Happy Monday, all. Happy Hello. Monday. Yeah, I mean, not only is Jim Jordan getting the uh, the Medal of Freedom, but the Browns won a playoff game. At a, I was going to say, a, that's all anybody's talking about. A, Why can't we have an all-Brown podcast? Wasn't, wasn't that first quarter just something to pull? Did you ever think the words would be issued that the Browns have set a record for most points in the first quarter of any playoff game? It's like, what, what's going on here? And then the most points in the first half is a visiting team. It was like... It was like all those years of Pittsburgh beating up on them all got reversed in one really fun game to watch. So, yes. I felt like I was in an alternate reality watching that first quarter. I'm thinking, like, was the election really stolen? Like, where am I? <laughs> yeah, I know. We just didn't expect to see it. The Browns are fun. You know, they, they, they I'm sure, are not going to be uh, odds-on favorite to win against the defending Super Bowl champs. But this is a magic year. You never know what you're going to see. Let's begin. What do local government leaders have to say about Ohio Governor Mike DeWine's approach to vaccinating people against the coronavirus? Jane Cahoon, I've said it before. I'll keep saying it. We're under siege by readers to get answers on the vaccine. That's all they want to know. And we can't give them answers because the government is terrible about this. Seth Richardson did a fully reported story talking to local leaders about some of their frustrations with how this is going because they're responsible for distributing these vaccines. What did we find out? Yeah, as you said, the, the burden is on them to to get these things out. But, the, but you know, they, they do say the governor's office has tried to be responsive. But the fact is they feel like they're getting either no information or information like at the last minute about decisions like in real time. And as we know, you know, outside of outlining the phases for who gets the vaccine, DeWine and the Ohio Department of Health have not really released a detailed framework for the for the distribution. So as we said, the leaders are on their own to figure out all of these logistics. And people like the Cincinnati mayor, John Cranley, said all they do is tell us they want to limit the distribution of the vaccine, but there's no coordination, making sure the infrastructure is in place at the local level. And there's no czar at the state level or mandate that each region come up with a czar that has the authority to, you know, distribute the existing capacity. So they're really worried about, like, when this ramps up that we're just not going to be ready for it. You know, yeah, and and they, you know, the interesting thing is they're all pulling their punches. I mean, so even with what they said, which is bad, I mean, the government is doing an atrocious job here. They're being careful because they also have to work with the governor because I, I know what they're saying under their breath. <laughs> the, the amazing thing is that Mike DeWine, knowing this was coming, didn't appoint a czar, didn't appoint a task force to, to roll this out so that so that he could tell people well in advance. This is how it's going to get to you. 
this is going to is this is going to be our strategy this is and we still have no clue i mean the uh hilarious thing <laughs> my wife <laughs> has a teacher who said okay i'm a teacher i'm supposed to get it february 1st so he registered with the county website and we got a note back saying okay you're like 29,000th in line and we only get a hundred doses a week. So at this rate, you're not going to get your vaccine till the end of 2022. Oh my goodness. You know, which isn't true, but it just shows you how inept the, the health board is and how bad the communication is. If you say, if you come out like DeWine did last week and said, teachers start February 1st, you ought to have the damn plan ready, right? You ought to say, and this is how we're going to do it. There's still no clue as to how this is going to happen. And he wants schools open by March 1st. I, I just, is there any chance we're going to turn this around? It, will this get reversed, do you think? Is the pressure going to mount to where they finally have to do something real? Well, if Mike DeWine keeps listening to you on the podcast, maybe there's hope. <laughs> listening to all of us on the podcast. I, I, I like to think it's not just me. Anyway, Seth did a great story. People ought to check it out on uh, Cleveland.com. It kind of is the state of the moment of our poor vaccination performance. And we got to turn things around or people are going to keep getting sick and dying. So this week in the CLE. A Cleveland public schools employee who quit suddenly last week to investigate pedophilia in government circles had her house raided by the FBI in Willoughby Friday night. Chris Ranowski, the the people that that tried to overthrow the government last week really are turning out to be clowns and kind of crazy. This is likely one of them. What's her story? Right. So it's worth noting that she has not been charged with anything as of today. So we, we, per our policy, we chose not to name her, but there was a Cleveland public schools employee who, who did resign last week after a photo surfaced of her taken by Getty image uh, in the, I believe she was in the house chambers with a uh, save the children sign, which is a, you know, a nod to the QAnon conspiracy theory that, Democrats are part of a, and I cannot believe I'm saying this out loud, a blood drinking cabal of pedophiles who, who drink the blood of children. Um, so she, she offered her resignation in lieu of probably being asked to either step down or getting fired and claimed that she was leaving to, to switch paths to expose the global evil of human trafficking and pedophilia, including in our own government agencies and children's service agencies. She also claimed that she will not be taking the coronavirus 19 vaccine in order to return to in-person schooling. But that's that's another story. Um, so was, so she, they, was she part of the insurrection? Yes. Yeah, she was she was in she was in there. I mean, I don't know. You know, it's it's difficult to say how much you know, planning or knowledge of what was going on. She had, you know, but she was in the Capitol. She was definitely in there. She, there's a very prominent photograph of her. You can see it on her website, but she was in there. And, and so late Friday, um, we got wind and um, some other, the, some of the TV stations got wind that the FBI was out searching her house. So we sent Eric Heisig out there to sort of keep tabs on anything and see what happened. And, um, and, they just, it looks like they may have, have just went in and searched and, and I don't know if they took electronics or anything out of the home or anything like that, but uh, they did not arrest anybody. So she, she stayed there and, and then Eric went up and knocked on the door and was told that he was trespassing and, 
he left his business card and went home. So, you know, we'll we'll see this week if it results in anything. But it's well, the FBI has been rounding up the people that went inside. You know, what's striking about this. I mean, her resignation letter is lunacy. It's just it's crazy talk. And you're seeing a lot of that from the people that tried to overthrow the government last week. And it's kind of like if you're Rudy Giuliani and you really want to overthrow the government, you really shouldn't rely on Fred Flintstone and Homer Simpson, right? You want to get people that are not completely nuts. This this is crazy. And this is the level of person that went to Washington to to upstage democracy. These are the people that Donald Trump was exhorting to not show weakness. It's just... But see, but, but what you're doing here is, I think, part of the point. QAnon, and, and, and to some degree, back when Donald Trump first took the presidency, the, the alt-right, you know, like the tiki torch-bearing, polo-wearing, you know, uh, you know, former gamers and nerds who, who came out and, and, you know, started the Charlottesville riot, you know, it's it's easy to look at that and say, well, this is just cartoonish and you couldn't take it serious. And I think... What happens with that? When, when, oh no, when, no, 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 no! Don't you, get me wrong. You, I, I'm not saying don't take down it and see who who those people are being exploited by much more dangerous people. And in this right. sense, we right. call that in this in this recent incident, it's it's what we traditionally call militia, which we should correctly call domestic terrorists. It's this is this this is terrorism, and so you know, and and it's sad because I, I you know, I, we were talking before the podcast started. I, you know, I have family members who have fallen under this, and 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 you see the kind of breakdown in their their way of thinking, and you realize, like, oh my gosh, there's, I don't know how you you're going to get these people back into the realm of reality. It is it is totally off the grid thinking, and 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 well, it's sad. Start by having a president. That is not repeatedly, repeatedly making that message. I mean, part of the problem is for four years, their their messiah has been telling them all of this nonsense is true. So now we're going to have a president who's not repeating that message, maybe by repeatedly delivering the message of what reality is, you can at least brush it back some. Well, but you also still have a hundred plus people in the House and, you know, at least 12 senators who who were, you know, after, after all of this, all the dust settled, went in and continued their attempts, to, their very disingenuous attempts to overturn the election results. And so. Including you know, our very own Jim Jordan. Who's right. Including the freedom today. Right. Including Jim Jordan. And, and what I thought was interesting, there was a really great essay in the New York times over the weekend that, that really digged into you know, the history of this kind of stuff and what might happen now. And they they put lawmakers into two categories. One were the breakers, the people who are trying to break the government, and the gamers, which are the people who who stood by and allowed this stuff to happen because they were getting what they want. So, you know, in some respects, like like Holly and Ted Cruz are the breakers, the people that are trying to essentially go around the Constitution and break the government to their own ends. And then you have people right. like Mitch McConnell. Who would be who would be gamers? Who are people who are getting their judges, are getting their policy? Who 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 sat on their hands and allowed all of this awful stuff to happen? And I, you know, and and both are very bad. And so, you know, when you have when you have a government like this that is feeding this, and that 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 there and, and and again, we talked about true believers last week. There are true believers in this government who believe that this, but there are also people who have stood by 
and and know better and if and and have, have poured lies into the head of people like this woman in Willoughby and and you know and it's and it's really what you're taking advantage of is people who have mental illness and I think I think that's the thing is that is that there are lawmakers who saying well these are disturbed people but it's like you have you have you have fed it like you're feeding right. it and and you have to stop feeding it it's it's what Rip, Mitt Romney that's, said you got to stop one. lying to these people right step one is to stop sending out the message that has so corrupted the minds of these people step two is to get rid of the leaders who are doing that we got to move on it's this week in the CLE a 20-year battle by the fishing industry to slaughter the double-crested cormorant is coming to a head. Thank you, Jane Cahoon, for protecting me from saying double-breasted cormorant. <laughs> for these fascinating birds, with all that's going wrong in the world, do we really need the bad karma of wiping them out? Laura Johnston, I'm kind of kind of slammed by this one. Why would we go after the cormorants with all that's going on right now? Because they eat too many fish is the is the main reason that this battle has been going on for so long. These are dark, long neck water birds that used to be endangered, and they're now overrunning the western basin of Lake Erie. For example, to tell you how bad it got, um, in 1973, there were fewer than 250 of the birds in the entire Great Lakes Basin. Now, Ohio is home to about uh, more than 7,000 of them in 2020. And that's because of federal protections and environmental re- regulations over the past uh, 40 years. But the fishermen say that they eat up to a pound of fish a day. They wipe, they're wiping out the beloved walleye and other coveted fish in Lake Erie. Plus their acidic feces harms trees and vegetation and their large colonies compete with other birds for resources. So the federal government is looking into a plan to not eradicate the birds, but cut down on the population in different kind of um, uh, drawn out ways of killing them. You know, this is a problem in a bunch of states. I've seen the battle in Michigan and Florida and the East Coast. What, but what strikes me is these are native birds. So they were here first. This is what they do. And, and it's, well, they're, they're taking our fish. So we're going to, we're going to try and wipe them out. It, it's a little bit runs against our whole feeling about natural balance. There, there's nothing here that is unnatural in the balance of, of nature. There's, it's not like they've lost a predator. It's not like they've lost anything that would have taken them out. This is their natural population. Who are we to say we don't think it should be that big? This is where you're meddling with mother nature, right? Well, it's not like we don't do that with other things, but yes, it is. And so they're looking for comments right now. The birders are saying that these are beloved and they shouldn't be removed, but the anglers can can put their own comments in as well. And they've been trying to fight these birds, I guess, in the 40s and the, to the 60s. They used to shoot them, oil their eggs. They had the kind of blessing of the U.S. and Canadian government. There was also the, obviously the problem of pesticide with DDT and chemical pollution. So I, I think people, you know, they, they see Lake Erie not only as a resource, but it as an economic engine for fish, you know, a lot of these, these people make their living with charter fisheries and they want to, they want to be able to find the fish. Okay. You're listening to this week in the CLE.
With Ohio Governor Mike DeWine fumbling the rollout of the coronavirus vaccine, our data guru, Rich Exner, did some analysis to see if we could stop this virus in its tracks by vaccinating small but especially vulnerable populations. Jane Coon, it's kind of sad that this is such a disaster that we're looking for our own solutions to solve the problem. But Rich Exner actually came up with some interesting ideas. What were they? He did. And to be fair, some of them line up with the, with the phases, you know, that the, that the state has in mind for, for getting the most vulnerable people vaccinated. For instance, the, this 80 plus age group, it's just a sliver of Ohio's population, about 4%, but it's like 485,000 people. But that, but they account for more than half of the, almost 10,000 people who've died of COVID-19 in this state. So that's just a one example. So he looked at, you know, other groups that that we could target. You know, for instance, there's roughly 70,000 people at skilled nursing facilities, 30 to 50,000 at assisted living facilities, and 5,000 at intermediate care centers for people with intellectual and developmental disabilities. And then there's 170,000 staff members there. Um, there's about 300,000 people working at public and private schools in Ohio. There's about 34,000 full and part-time faculty at public colleges and universities and another 14,000 at private institutions. And then there's about 50,000 people whose jobs often involve close contact with, with many young as adults. So he looked at others, you know, like first responders, 40,000 firefighters, including 10,000 volunteers. 25,000 licensed police officers in Ohio. So he said he translated that to, you know, about 108,000 vaccinations could cover Ohio's police, firefighters, and, and paramedics. So it goes on and on, the hospital people, the other medical people outside of hospitals. But yeah, you should read it. It's at cleveland.com slash data central. Yeah, and, it, and look, the reason this is urgent and important is we're, we're not going to vaccinate the entire population with anything like alacrity. It's been a disaster so far. So if you can be much more strategic and and greatly slow the suffering of this, I mean, a study came out of China over the weekend that three quarters of the people that went into the hospital for coronavirus were still suffering six months later with debilitating symptoms. You don't want to get this thing. I mean, I can't wait till I get this shot, but it just seems like you're in one of those hallways in the movies where it's just stretching away from you. And I have no <laughs> idea when I'm going to get that needle in my arm. Good stuff by Rich Exner. He is a treasure. You're listening to This Week in the CLE. Ohio's two U.S. senators are taking very different tacks when it comes to dealing with the Donald Trump-provoked insurrection in Washington last week, with Rob Portman looking for hearings and Sherrod Brown wanting to kick colleagues out of the Senate. Chris Ranowski, what are the details? Well, that's pretty much it. <laughs> I mean, Portman hasn't said much uh, beyond saying that he's going to convene a Blue Ribbon Committee uh, that is made up of a, a bipartisan group of lawmakers to sort of examine what went wrong. And Sherrod Brown sort of took the more forceful track, which, you know, of course, this kind of fell on party lines. But he accused uh, uh, Missouri Senator Josh Hawley and Texas Senator Ted Cruz of abetting the insurrection and calling. They call for their resignation. And if they choose not to step down, he wants them expelled from the U.S. Senate. So 
And that's a pretty, you know, that's a pretty big move from Sherrod to sort of say that, you know, I want my colleagues bounced out of here if if they don't go quietly. So, well, I mean, Josh Hawley fist bumped these bozos when he went in and then Cruz was the one that gave the ridiculous speech moments before the the attack on the Capitol began. And they're both peddling nonsense. We all know this is nonsense. There is no fraud. There's no evidence of fraud. It's complete and utter nonsense. And if their peddling of that leads to partly leads to what happened, why shouldn't you oust them? Haven't they given up their right to continue to sit in that body? They they helped spark an attack on that body. Yeah. And, you know, and went in and continued to debate afterwards. <laughs> you know, it, it it's it's amazing that more people didn't af- after seeing what had unfolded to to go in with a straight face and continue the debate over these ridiculous as- assertions about the the election was was kind of mind boggling. Did anybody else see the Ted Cruz thing? I saw it. Did anybody else see that? If you haven't seen it, go watch it. It's the most smarmy condescending, really sickening thing. That, well, I mean, I, I'm not surprised that this was one of the last things that was done before they tried to throw overthrow the government but because it was the, the height of utter nonsense. Well, and, you know, I just he's a very unlikable person. And, and I, and I say that knowing the, the famous Al Franken quote, which people can Google it. I'm not going to repeat it, but, but a lot of people don't like Ted Cruz, even people within his own party. And, and so for him to, I mean, he's, he's doing what I think we all kind of feared would happen when Donald Trump became president, which is, you know, instead of, instead of trying to be the smart voice that he was, in his presidential primary and calling out, you know, Trump's BS, he went full in on Trumpism and decided this is the only way that I'm going to be taken seriously as a presidential candidate. Well, the most cynical way possible, they tried to be, both he and Hawley tried to be the standard bearers for the Trumpism going forward, and it blew up in their face. And I I don't think these guys have any kind of political future. They're the poster children for everything that's wrong here. But, but, you know, so Sherrod has a good point. You Mm -hmm. guys lied to the American public. You helped cause an insurrection against this body. You have vacated your right to be part of this body. I, I mean... I, how do you how do you argue against that? Right, and uh, and and to be fair, Holly was sort of created in a libertarian lab by you know <laughs> by, by billionaire Peter Thiel, and, and and has always believed that it was his destiny to be the president of the United States, and and I can't imagine. I, yeah, that's kind of done but, now. But you know, it's also it's also worth noting. You know, I mean, you know, you have Jim Jordan going on TV all weekend, and I think this morning saying that he's not going to. He, he doesn't want to impeach because of he wants he wants to see unity. And I and honestly, I, you know, there's there's it, Jim Jordan wants unity. My it, God. But it's becoming a it's becoming a, a meme on the Internet that there can't be any any unity without consequence. And and I don't think what people understand is that the reason that people like Vladimir Putin maintain power is because of these calls for unity. I mean, this is legitimately what happened in Russia and how right. the oligarchy got established there. But all right, all right, all right. we got to move on, Chris. But leave it to Jim Jordan to look the other way when something bad happens. I- <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> all right, you're listening this week in the CLE. We had to get some more topics in here.
After Cleveland became the first government body to provide all the details of its strategy for coronavirus vaccinations, good for Cleveland, Lorraine County's health board did the right thing and did the same thing. Never mind that Cuyahoga County seems clueless about where it is headed. Laura Johnston, briefly, what is Lorraine County doing? So they have a, a website, just like Geauga County, where people in phase 1B can begin registering. And then those who sign up, they'll have their name and address, email address will be notified when they can register for a vaccination. Uh, They're creating pods where residents can go to be vaccinated. They can vaccinate up to a thousand people per day in each pod and run up to eight pods a day, depending on how much vaccine they have on hand. Those locations include schools, the county fairgrounds, some drive-in sites in Lorraine and Elyria, and then when they it's time to vaccinate the school workers, they plan to create pods in the school districts with more than 800 employees. Smaller districts are going to be joining together, but they they seem to have a plan and they have the first estimate I've seen about when regular people should be able to get vaccinated. And that's April through June. They also answered some questions that it's free. I know people want to know how, the, you know, if they have to pay for this vaccine. And um, yeah, they've got a plan. Aha, April through June. That means my July 4th theory is going to come forward. <laughs> so, so, so hopefully this is a trend, right? Cleveland did us a solid by going first. They laid it all out in an interview with Pete Krauss. We did that last week. People were really glad to see details. They came right out of the chute then and did the same thing. Can we expect, <laughs> I can't even say this with a straight face. Can we expect Cuyahoga's health board to do the same thing? Summit? others to now come forward and say, here's how we're going to do this to finally ease people's minds? I don't think that that's looking bright, at least for Cuyahoga. They had their regular briefing on Friday afternoon. They had no details about 1B. I don't even know if they're going to be able to start January 19-ish, you know, like DeWine had said. Um, Health Commissioner Terry Allen on Friday said it could be well into February before vaccines are administered to all willing members of the 1A group, and that's the healthcare workers and nursing home residents and workers. He said that about 20% of the county's workforce is in the healthcare field, and that's what's slowing them down. But they're not giving any more information out. Well, they are when people register and they're told we get a hundred doses a week. You're twenty nine thousandth in line. It's it it's just a comedy of errors. I the whole health board organization needs to be completely reviewed in this state. It's just not working. You're listening to this week in the CLE. Okay, we'll spend the rest of the podcast on this next question. We are under siege from our audience with questions about the coronavirus vaccines. And even though we are working feverishly to get answers, we are balked by government agencies that refuse to be transparent. So we put together a big list of questions and sent them to the state health department Friday. We published a story with all those questions in them, hoping it would lead people to believe that we are working on their behalf. Jane Cahoon, what are some of those unanswered questions? So first of all, we sent about a dozen of them to the state health department. And then we have a whole slew of others that we're separately trying to get answers to. So suffice to say that it there are way, way more questions and answers out here. But some of the ones that we sent to the health department have to do with like county emergency management agencies, which are supposed to be key here. Like, are they adequately equipped and funded to do what they're supposed to do. If not, are the counties going to have to carry that load? What's the state doing to work with doctor's offices to to make sure that they can line up these appointments in advance and and the whole refrigeration or the freezing uh, aspect, like, you know, since they don't have these freezers to keep the vaccine ultra cold, what, you know, how are they going to handle that? 
what kind of communication have they had to to doctors, you know, explaining all this and, um, you know, what is the role of hospitals uh, going forward and um, all kinds of, there, there's more. But let's start with the county emergency management agencies. Last week, Mike DeWine got up and he said, hey, next week, every county emergency management agency will have a press conference to explain what they're doing. That was the first time. And I'm kind of glued into this. I'm hearing from lots of people that are involved. That's the first time I ever heard that the county emergency management agencies would have a role. Up until then, it was always the county health boards or the city health boards. So the question arose, did the county emergency <laughs> management agencies know that? Because we keep hearing that Mike DeWine says stuff in these briefings that the locals have no clue about. When he said doctors will be administering this. Our immediate question was, have you talked to the doctors? Because when you call your doctor now, they say, go to CVS. I mean, it's like automatic. <laughs> go to Walgreens, go to CVS. I don't know what you're talking about. So we're trying to get a feel for, did you actually communicate this? Are you just making this up as you go? <laughs> Where is the evidence of genuine planning? This is kind of critical stuff. I mean, we've talked about if Amy Acton were still health department leader here, we probably have good answers to this because she believed in transparency. Anyway, we're, we'll, we'll keep pressure on to try and get these questions answered. And then when we don't, if we don't, we'll do stories again saying we're still asking. They're still not answering. This is about accountability by government. The questions that really aren't ap applicable to the health department is more what the mechanics that people have for their own lives or one of them I thought was a great question. If I get the first shot and then I get the coronavirus, do I still get the second shot? That's a good right. question. Do you need right. it if you get the coronavirus? Are there any others like that that we're trying to get answered? You know, how are they going to keep people from getting, you know, doubling up and getting vaccinated twice? You know, how are they coordinating that to make sure, you know, the right people get in line? And yeah, people have a lot of people really want to know about like pre-existing conditions, too. And, and like, should I be, you know, if I have diabetes or if I have, you know, there there's a myriad of of conditions that people have and they're wondering, okay, does that put me ahead in line or not? And how am I going to know? Uh, all kinds of things along those lines. All right. Well, I hope people who are listening know we are doing our damnedest to get these questions answered. If you have more, send them our way. I'm at cquinn at cleveland.com. You're listening to This Week in the CLE. Okay. Mondays are always fun. Lots of news to talk about. Thanks, Chris. Thanks, Jane. Thanks, Laura. Thanks to everybody who listens.